Welcome to Dynasty Life. I am Theo Greminger, and today I'm joined by Ian Miller of the 33rd team. Uh, this is really cool because, you know, when we started doing these crossover episodes with uh, Josh Larkey and the 33rd team, I, I had been talking to Ian kind of in the DMs because we follow each other for Dynasty-related content for a while. And before I even started Dynasty Life, I tried to line up some of these, you know, content creators that I have a great deal of respect uh, with and also guys that maybe I might di uh, disagree with sometimes on specific Dynasty rankings. And uh, I had Ian lined up, and then we had this 33rd team thing lined up. So this worked out absolutely perfectly. But uh, in case you don't know Ian, he's Dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. So they probably know your Dynasty underscore I am sometimes more than 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 Ian Miller at this point. But you're well known in the in the Twitter streets, and you've been crushing the content at the 33rd team this season. Why don't you let everybody know what you're doing at the 33rd team and where they can find your work, Ian? Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. I was Dynasty underscore I am on Twitter. And then over at the 33rd team every week, um, update and Dynasty rankings. So every single week we're getting updated peripherals production and uh, we're turning those into uh, updated Dynasty rankings as often as we can. And uh, it's awesome to compare it with someone like Theo and see like, hey, where are you right now? And even before the show, we talked a little bit about where each of us were on a guy and how we're a little bit different. It's an awesome season for dynasty content creation because we've had certain guys where maybe in you know we've had let's be let's face it we've had some guys rising up big time uh, this season and guys that were maybe a little bit off the beaten path and not only guys that are rookies. I mean, I think the the like the the low hanging fruit would be like Sam Laporta. You know, before the season starts, he was probably like a low end tight end one um, in a lot of sites, including ours, probably your guys as well. He shot way up. Then you go to the top of the dynasty, dynasty, uh, you know, wide receivers for these rookies um, and you start looking at it. And it's a number of these guys that were like late day two and day three guys. It's, it's extremely exciting. But we've also got some second year guys to talk about. And Ian, you also you're doing the rankings. And you're also doing like some pretty cool podcasts. I know you and Josh have been doing uh, the occasional Dynasty podcast. When are those dropping? Because I think those are actually very good to hear about your Dynasty changes and kind of, you know, your guys' process and when you guys talk it out. When can people find those podcasts with Josh? Yeah, we do those once a month. And then in the off season when Dynasty, you know, really starts hitting the wall, we do those every week. So, um, yeah, it's a ton of fun. And uh I believe our next one's going to be middle of December, actually. We just did one last week. Yeah, no, check out the one from last week. Definitely very, very cool stuff. Uh, and check out the crossover episodes we've done uh, with 33rd Team. Um, I know that the podfather, Matt Kelly, Billy Muzio, and I have gone over and had a chance to talk with some of the 33rd Team guys on this first and second year classes of quarterbacks, running backs, tight ends, and wide receivers. We covered them all at this point, um, but there's definitely some evergreen uh, there's some evergreen quality to those podcasts. Uh, they, they hold weight for, for a while, but you know, Ian, you, you know, we talked about kind of the preseason rankings, your preseason process. And I've been asking this question on press coverage and first class fantasy from a redraft perspective. Uh, you know, in redraft, it's a little different. If I miss on a guy, like let's say a fifth round, sixth round pick, it's awful, but it's not something that I have to carry on for seasons and seasons in dynasty. When I miss on a guy, whether it's in a dynasty startup or in a rookie draft, it's something that can really sink my team or keep my team down for a number of seasons. Uh, who's a guy that maybe you were bullish on to start the season that's really let you down, whether it's, uh, it, it's, it's usage, whether it's just the way they've played or maybe the way the team views them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious one and that it's Quinn Johnston. Uh, you had a guy who was second wide receiver off the board. Um, his peripherals at TCU were fantastic from the second he stepped foot on the field. I mean, this was a guy that never had below two yards per team pass attempt, meaning from 18 years old at TCU, which was a quite good team as we saw last year, from 18 years to 20 years old, he, he never wasn't involved highly in that offense and productive. Um, the other thing that we saw him do was he was very good after the catch. So usually – especially as a first-round draft pick, those high-yak guys can have a solid floor, especially in an offense like the Chargers where they're throwing the ball a lot. And we haven't seen any of that from Quentin Johnston. Sub-15% target share this year. 
Um, he's his yards per out run is pretty abysmal. I mean, we're talking about someone whose yards per out run is under 0.5 and his PFF receiving grades under 65. So it's basically about as bad as it can possibly get. And this is from someone who had solid production at TCU. He declared early for the draft, second wide receiver off the board in the first round. Even if you didn't like the guy, I think this is even a disappointment for guys that didn't like him. Yeah, it's 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 been like really disappointing from the word go. And he was a guy that really crushed not only dynasty managers, but redraft managers because he had some steam. He had preseason steam. And he was looked at as one of those contingent upside guys where if anything were to happen to Keenan Allen or to Mike Williams, you know, Quentin Johnson was the next man in. And you kind of painted yourself a picture that it's two older wide receivers, something could happen. And something did happen. Mike Williams got hurt. And then we had him playing behind Josh Palmer, really from the start. But we saw this is the window to get in. So guys dump fab on him. And then Josh Palmer continued playing ahead of him. Then Josh Palmer goes to the injured reserve. And we're seeing seeing him struggle to gain like a really big target share. So I think it's been a a poor team fit in the way they've used him. And also, you know, like last night, seeing him drop that seventy yard, uh, you know, yesterday, excuse me, yesterday during the day, that seventy yard uh, potential touchdown, like that would have been like a we maybe be having a different conversation right now, Ian, if you had that that one at least to, to hang your hat on. But you've had a bunch of hits as well. You know, who's who's a guy that's been maybe a positive surprise for you this, this year? whether you were on them in the preseason or not, somebody that's really exceeded your expectations uh, from a dynasty level. Yeah. I mean, I think even if we're talking exceeded expectations, like everyone knows that the quarterback who gets drafted second overall has a good chance of being good. Yet, even though you felt that way about CJ Stroud, there's no way he hasn't blown away anyone's expectations. Even if you were super high on him. I mean, this is a guy who on the season right now is currently QB seven, Find only Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Dak, Herbert, Allen, and Hurts as a rookie. And so when we talk about that rookie points per game, that's only trailing Robert Griffin III and Anthony Richardson for highest ever by a rookie quarterback. And those were guys that rushed a lot. When we talk about C.J. Stroud, we're talking someone that's 2.3 rushing points per game, meaning what he's doing through the air we've basically never seen before. And the fact he dropped 50-point game a couple weeks ago, we've never had a rookie quarterback have a 50-point game Ever. And again, this is someone who's not a Konami level rush. We're not looking at Griffin the third. We're not looking at Newton. We're not looking at Jackson, where they don't have to pass a whole lot to have wildly high ceiling. But with CJ Stroud, we're talking about someone who, amongst all quarterbacks this year, not just rookies, has the second highest adjusted yards per attempt, the second highest yards per attempt, a 4.7% passing touchdown rate. And if you were to talk about the weapons that he had coming into the season, there's no way you're talking about this is a guy who's going to have three wide receivers above 14 points per game when one's a rookie in Tank Dell, one's a third-year player in Nico Collins who had yet to break out, and the other one is a five-game sample size of Noah Brown where he has 14.2 points per game. Noah freaking Brown has 14.2 points per game, and Dalton Schultz even has 13.3 points a game. This is a guy that's elevating all the wide receiver weapons around him from a fantasy standpoint, and what he's doing as a non-rusher, a rookie quarterback who has historically struggles is possibly having the greatest rookie season we've ever seen. I love it. You couldn't have said it any better. And the fact that he's going to challenge Cam Newton for most points ever by a rookie quarterback, I'm not sure he'll get there. Um, you know, last year showed, you know, yesterday kind of showed, you know, the potential for a game where without that insulated rushing floor, you have a chance for a game like yesterday. But he's a absolute lock to finish as a top 10 quarterback in redraft. And he's a guy that's probably going to be starting for you in the fantasy playoffs, which is just wild for you in redraft perspective. And then in dynasty, he's shot up immensely. And you talk about elevating players like Dalton Schultz was a Dallas Cowboy. Noah Brown was a Dallas Cowboy. Those guys were playing on some of the highest scoring offenses in the entire league. And he, though, both of those guys had their most receiving yards, most catches and most fantasy points in a single game attached to CJ Stroud and not. Dak Prescott and then Nico Collins was a guy that had given us like a little bit of a glimpse for two seasons a little bit more of a disappointment uh not really a disappointment but more of a purgatory guy and now he's looked at as a like a rising dynasty asset uh in his third year and that's because of CJ Stroud so I think you nailed it like if I told you a year from now that like yo Ian in 2024 in uh, in like underdog drafts, we're gonna be getting those CJ Stroud stacks. That's gonna be like the most popular thing this coming summer. So 
Love it. Really, really good stuff. Um, we're going to dive into a bunch more players, uh, including a number of these second-year and first-year guys. And Ian's also going to answer a couple answers uh, uh, questions in the chat with me. So if you have some Dynasty trade questions, go ahead and get those in the chat right now. We're going to be covering it all right here on Dynasty Life. It has been two years since Josh Larkey paved the way for fantasy gamers to start expecting positive returns from Pick'em games, specifically underdog Pick'ems. And how do you do it? Well, you look at the slate and you find a great shootout or a sneaky shootout. You also look for a shit show game. Three, four, five, six guys in one game. That's right. You can do it. You can do it. And you can 100x your payout on underdog. Think about week one. Jets-Bills was a shit show. Did we see the Aaron Rodgers injury coming? No, but we knew the Jets have a good defense. We knew the Bills have a good defense. Why not expect the worst? And the worst is what we got. So if you had gone Dalvin Cook less than, Garrett Wilson less than, Aaron Rodgers less than, Josh Allen less than, Gabriel Davis less than, boom, 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 you can go six for six. Same thing in week two. Oh, week two. Well, sneaky shootout there in Philadelphia. Minnesota's going to be in comeback mode, so we'll go Cousins, Jefferson, Hawkinson, more than, Madison, less than, but also Swift, more than. Boom, 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 boom. That's how you do it with the underdog pickums, and you use promo code UNDERWORLD to get a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. You put in 100 underdog matches that deposit up to 100 bucks with promo code UNDERWORLD. Go start picking. Welcome back to Dynasty Life. I'm Theo Greminger, and I'm joined by Ian Miller of the 33rd team. And Ian, we got we to gotta start this out. Let's take one question from the chat because people are starting to get their trade questions in, in the chat. Uh, first, we have a tough one. We'll get back to uh, Quentin Johnston. Who's going to be the bigger bust, Nikhil Harry or QJ? It's going to be Nikhil Harry. I mean, he's not that level of a bust. But Ian, can we trust the next TCU wide receiver coming in after Josh Doxson, Jalen Rager, and now Quentin Johnston? Are you a guy who holds grudges towards colleges or are you like averse to that? And you stay neutral and say next man in. Yeah, I mean, I I'm not one that helmet scouts or anything like that. Yeah. I'm usually one that kind of thinks it's funny. But man, it almost seems true at this point with what we've seen. I mean, aside from Des Bryant, the Big 12 wide receivers in general, aside, outside of him and CD Lamb, I mean, it's not it's not the greatest company that you can have coming out of that Big 12. No, it's 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 definitely a tough one. Um, we had some a, a nice run with like Hollywood Brown and CD Lamb. But there's been a, been a lot of misses right there. One guy we got to start talking about here, Tank Dell. And I think that the that the we're going to talk about Puka Nakua shortly because what Puka Nakua has done is exceptional. Puka Nakua right now is averaging you know north north of 17 points per game. Nakua is going to finish somewhere in line in the top 10 unless he has a complete disaster. Nakua is going to be a top 10 points per game scorer of all time. In, in Dynasty, which is just wild. And he's a chance to exceed, especially with the Cooper Cup injury, has a chance to exceed, you know, what Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson did from a points-per-game perspective. Crazy. But I think that the narrative is starting to change a little bit because Tank Dell has been truly exceptional. We've talked about C.J. Stroud, but, you know, he's certainly elevated the guys around him. But I think some of his fantasy success, especially in his spike weeks, like we saw against Tampa, came with big games from Tank Dell. Tank Dell's flashing, and I'll, I'll give a shout-out to Jax Falcone of the Undrafted, which you can hear right here on Player Profiler Podcast, making a little comparison to Tyreek Hill. Now, I'm not quite there yet, but where are we at on, on Tank Dell? Five games now with 18 or more PPR points, a lot of season left. He's going to be averaging north of 16 points per game when this week ends. Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, Tank Dell coming into the year was a prospect who it's not like I was in love with. We're talking about a round three guy. Uh, his production at Houston was all right, but nothing that flashed that made us go, oh, this is a guy who's sneaky round three that we might really like. Um, he wasn't someone that absolutely standed out, but what he's been doing this year is what we call like erasing a profile, kind of similar to Puka Nakua where – you only need this certain amount of games where you have these peripherals like this, where it's like, okay, 
the profile or the prospect profile no longer matters to us because you've clearly outplayed it. That is not a thing for you. So we talk about like even just all round three wide receivers, there's only been four to have a yards per out run above two. And that would be Keenan Allen, Cooper Cup, Chris Godwin, and Terry McLaurin. And Take Dell very much so looks like he's going to be a part of this. He's north of a 2.15 yards per out run. And yeah. there's really no signs of slowing down, especially when we know that rookie wide receivers tend to produce better in the second half of the season as he's already started to do. I mean, when we talk about Tank Dell, the company, even if you want to compare him to round three wide receivers, is still. Ian, you're good. Yeah, I think he froze up just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Tank Dell is someone who's now highly regarded in Dynasty and should be because what he's doing is erasing a prospect profile, which is kind of what we're talking about with Puka Nakua, where it's like a day three guy, but how he's producing is not like a day three guy to where the prospect profile essentially doesn't mean that much to us anymore. Yeah. And I agree with you completely. And the, I've heard one pushback on tank Dell, which I thought was a little bit absurd. People are pushing back on the success because he's 24. Do we hold anything against him based on age here? I personally believe that it, it, I'm not holding anything against him because he's coming from a smaller conference in a sense. And also he's performed well right away. And also his game is not, you know, based purely on speed. He's a guy who can also win in the slot. Uh, he's he's very technical in that sense. I don't have a problem with it, but do you think that that's a reasonable, a reasonable complaint that we're hearing some by some dynasty rankers? Um, I'm not too worried about, I mean, one of the guys I just mentioned in uh, Terry McLaurin was also in the same situation where he was 24 years old in his rookie season. And even guys like Calvin Ridley were 24 years old in their rookie season. It's certainly not a death sentence, especially when you come into the NFL and you start producing like a essentially a good 24-year-old Wood who's been in the league. Yeah, it certainly doesn't matter. But the fact that he's doing this as a rookie should say even more that you shouldn't be worried about him being 24 years old because we've seen it before. And Tank Dell is showing us that with this level of production and peripherals that we really should not be too worried about his age right now. What about concerns about the size? And I, I, I on this one, I'll push back and I'll say that the NFL, the wide receiver weights are shrinking every single year. We're seeing these sub two hundred pound guys. Do you have what? Are you looking for a particular archetype, or are you based more on the production and profile? Yeah, it's all about production and profile. In fact, uh, one thing that I used to do in like my process was for wide receivers, I was looking at that alpha size beta level size because in terms of upside it showed that it mattered but in the last few years we've seen these small receivers produce like what we've typically come to accustomed to from bigger wide receivers so that was something where in my process i changed it from do i want size to really be a profile type threshold and i changed it to average depth of target type thresholds where if they can get a good role i don't really care about their size so what i mean by that is like tank dell right now he's averaging a lot of targets deeper down the field if if a player can do that and they're not too close to the line of scrimmage. They're not just deep ball guys. I really don't care what size they are anymore. I'm with you. Let's talk about one wide receiver that we're a little bit higher on at player profiler than, than you are. And that's Jackson Smith and Jigba. For me, I realize the production is not quite there. Um, but I he missed some time in college. He missed earlier this season uh, with a wrist injury that had him getting surgery playing with a cast on, and I don't love, you know, necessarily his usage at this point. Plus the fact that there's target competition with DK and Tyler Lockett. I feel like I'm making excuses, Ian, but tell me why I'm wrong a little bit and why we should be a little more bearish on JSN here at Player Profiler. Yeah, I don't think the thing is that I dislike Jackson Smith and Jigba. In fact, I really liked him as a prospect coming out. The issue that I have with Njigba right now is that consensus really hasn't moved off what he was before he came into the league. And it's hard to say right now, as you know, you could talk about there's guys in front of him. He's coming off a wrist injury. Even, even with all that, it's hard to say it's not more disappointing than it would have been had he coming into the, the NFL. I mean, when we were talking about him as a prospect, there were some rookie drafts where he was getting drafted over someone like a CJ Stroud in a rare occasion because we've seen stuff like that. He was the number one wide receiver off the board. In fact, he was the first, when looking at keep trade cuts, he was the first wide rookie wide receiver to be a dynasty wide receiver one before stepping foot on the field since Jamar Chase. So yeah. as much as I like Jackson Smith and Jigba, it's almost like the value is just so far ahead. And then when we talk about right now, it's hardly went down. So if that's someone we're talking about is wide receiver 12 coming in, 
when we look at a site like Fantasy Trade Calc, which uses trades to get value or real trades to get real value, he's someone who's at Dynasty Wide Receiver 15. And this is someone who it's hard to say he's proven himself yet. And I bring up average depth of target because right now it's not a very susceptible to high fantasy output as we've seen this year. And it's one where you can't really point to too many players and say, well, we've seen this. So that's what it makes me feel good moving forward. Now, Jackson Smith, and Jigba is still someone I have fringe wide receiver two in dynasty around wide receiver 25. I want to say for me, but it's something where is, is even when guys talk about he's got Tyler Lock in front of him, he's got DK Metcalf in front of him. You have to remember that. Even if that's true and we don't get a free, for better lack of a better word, a free Jackson Smith and Jigba for a couple of years, do you want to invest at dynasty near wide receiver one prices on someone who might not be producing at that level for a couple more years? That's kind of where I'm at. I don't think a Jigba is bad by any sort of the measure of the stick. I just don't think he's a dynasty wide receiver one or close to a dynasty wide receiver one. Where we're passing over guys like Puka Nakua at times, Jordan Addison, who's been a far better round one rookie this year, where I just I just think we're too bullish and making uh, too many assumptions right now when we should just look at what's happening and see that there are really good guys valued behind him. I like that. And I think that pivoting off of him uh, is an interesting thing to do. And I have, and I'll also add, you know, you bring up the JSN versus quarterbacks in these rookie drafts. Yeah, that was wild. And I'll say before the landing spot for Jameer Gibbs, who we're going to talk about shortly, there were people on the JSN at 102 uh, over Bijan. We were always kind of on the Gibbs at two pre-NFL draft because of the scarcity, but I certainly had JSN as our wide receiver one on this class, like pretty much everybody else did. Um, and I'll still remain slightly more bullish than you are, but I've attempted a few pivots, like because I have a I'm a portfolio dynasty guy. I got a lot of dynasty teams and I have some JSN shares and I have a couple of contending teams where when you hold that sort of value, this is a whole show in itself, Ian, but the whole idea of if I'm a contender, being able to pivot off of an asset that's still worth a lot but not getting me points scored, JSN is kind of right there. A couple weeks back, I tried to pivot to Brandon Ayuk, and that's a guy who you've been really aggressive with your ranking with all season long. You look really sharp for it. That's a guy we've moved up big time in player profiler. Why don't we talk about Brandon Ayuk a little bit? You currently have him at wide receiver 10, which is ahead of where we have him at player profiler. Um, and we're, you know, we seem like we're moving him up every single week, but you've had him ahead of Debo on the same team for a considerable amount of time. And the production is, is right there yesterday, 150 plus yards receiving. Is there a more underrated talent in the NFL than Brandon Ayuk? Like if this dude got alpha usage where he went on some team and they decided, you know, we're going to target him 10 times a week. Like he could be wide receiver one overall. I'm convinced on that. Where are you at on Ayuk? Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And it's hard to say right now. He, I mean, he's at a 25% target share. The issue is it's hard to see those 10 targets a game when your 25% target share is coming on a team that throws the ball less than 30 times a game. So I'm 100% with you there. But part of the reason why I'm so bullish on Brandon Ayuk is that he's essentially been good his entire career up to this point. One thing that we do in our process is we have a range of outcomes, and it has a player. It takes their similar year one peripherals, similar year two, similar year three, Here's what we have in year four. So it, it takes guys who have the same career arc in terms of production and gives us a list. And typically, by the time we get to year four, there's not many players on that list. The only one in Brandon Ayuk's list was Cooper Cup, funny enough, who was a bit of a later sensational breakout, which I think is kind of what we're seeing with Ayuk. And the other thing, like if we want to put uh, his peripherals that he's put up this year into context, is yeah, it's not on a situation as good as Purdy's been. It's not a situation that's high susceptibility to strong wide receiver production, or at least top five wide receiver production that you truly want to see, because you don't really get that with a team that throws under 30 pass attempts a game. The volume just simply isn't there. When we look at what he's been doing this year, 24.5% target share on a team with Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, and Debo Samuel. He's got 3.10 yards per run, which is third in the league. Same with his PFF. He's the only the third wide receiver this year with a 90 plus PFF receiving grade behind Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown. So when we talk about Brandon Ayuk, I mean, we're talking about an absolute stud right now that's going into basically what you'd essentially call the prime of his career, and he's already producing like it. I mean, in a situation where they're throwing less than 30 pass attempts, he's at 16 points per game after yesterday. 
Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, you know, certainly uh, the Christian McCaffrey presence, I think, sort of keeps him down. And then you also have the occasional George Kittle, Debo Samuel, higher touch game. But I'm completely with you. I mean, we want talented players on our dynasty rosters. If it wasn't for like him butting heads with Shanahan for that short period of time, um, then I think that he'd be even higher ranked in, in a lot of these sites. It's like he's got that little gap where it was like the the narrative on him changed as some sort of like a bad attitude or something because Shanahan was in a bad mood. It did not didn't really make sense to me then. And and now when you look back, it's like Shanahan, how could you have kept this dude on the bench? Does not make sense to me at all. Um, but want to keep it going here with wide receivers. We see two second year guys, and they're not really close in terms of the the scoring, but it's an interesting, interesting dichotomy. When you have a very talented player attached to a very poor level of quarterback play. Oftentimes their dynasty ranking takes a hit. We've seen Drake London uh, certainly move down our rankings because we've had issues with the Atlanta quarterback situation this year. We certainly believe in the talent, but again, a, a year is a year. Where are your thoughts on Drake London? Has anything changed in your valuation of him? Are we just waiting for a good quarterback to show up in Atlanta and fix things? I mean, honestly, it doesn't even seem like – I mean, yes, of course, a quarterback from Desmond Ritter, Marcus Mariota, and Tyler Haneke perspective is almost going to be a much better situation for him. But, you know, you don't want to talk about especially coaching things. You don't really know how exactly it works. But when you can look at – you have an example of Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson – who are all underperforming what their profile says that they should be performing. I think once you get all that together, you see that the common denominator is someone who's using Jonu Smith to produce similarly to a Kyle Pitts. Or one of my favorite things to say is I've, we've seen some wide receivers mocked, and we've talked about a mock draft before over at the 33rd team site. And one of the things they brought up was Malik Neighbors on the Falcons. And I said, oh, yeah, that's awesome, because then we can finally see a Kadero Hodge breakout that we've all been waiting for. It's, it's a very peculiar situation. But yes, with Drake London, he has moved down the rankings because his peripherals haven't been as good as they were even his rookie year, which is an odd thing to go from a Marcus Mariota still an Arthur Smith offense, and your peripherals have gotten worse up to this point. What I mean by that is this is someone who had the second highest target share ever by a rookie, only trailing Odell Beckham Jr. Some of that is obviously a smaller sample where the Falcons threw the third lowest passing volume in the last 20 years, which is simply crazy. But this year we're looking at a 20.7% target share, which for one of the best rookie seasons that we've seen is not what you'd expect from a year two guy. There's still the second half of the season, someone who was injured recently. So, and is coming off a bye. So hopefully we see a Drake London explosion, but yes, he has moved down the rankings, but obviously something where any situation change that's slightly better should catapult this guy. And it's someone who we're still talking about being one of the better wide receivers in the league. George Pickens, is he in that same boat? Because Kenny Pickett, to me, needs to find the bench, and I don't think Pittsburgh's anywhere near doing that. Uh, Pickens and Deontay Johnson, for that matter, are almost unplayable in redraft right now because of the current quarterback situation. The running game's being effective in Pittsburgh. Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, we talked about them from a dynasty perspective perspective with Heath Cummings on Dynasty Life last week. Um, but how are we valuing these wide receivers? Are these guys you're looking to buy low with right now on your dynasty rosters, Ian? I mean, Drake London surely could be, but George Pickens I don't quite feel the same about because when we talk about George Pickens, he wasn't the same prospect. Like He was a round two guy when we're talking about Drake London. We're talking about number one wide receiver drafted in a draft where there was Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and obviously other studs. And he was an elite prospect going eighth overall. His peripherals were really good at USC. So from a prospect standpoint, Edge goes to London. We talk about rookie year. The rookie year obviously goes to London, who we just talked about his rookie peripherals. Pickens was someone who you could really go either way in that he's going to be good or there could be a fall off because he was someone who had a sub 20% target share despite running almost all the routes as a rookie and having a 90% plus route participation as rookie season. Now we've seen improvement from him this year, which is fantastic. This is someone who Fryermuth was out, Deontay Johnson was out, and we we're like, okay, maybe George Pickens is someone who could be really good. He was nearing a 25% target share, which is about alpha level. Deontay Johnson comes back, and since Deontay Johnson has came back, it's been a 15.8% target share for George Pickens. And as you mentioned, it's been an offense that's attached to Kenny Pickett and Matt Canada, where they're not even moving the ball. It's like watching the AFC North Jets almost. It's pretty painful to watch, and we know that 
Pickens is probably a good field stretcher and has shown that. Deontay Johnson's a rather good target hog. And Fryermuth has shown to be a very adequate receiver at a young age. And this offense is an absolute disaster. So, yes, it's something where Pickens gets a better situation. Sure, we like him a little bit more, but it's not the same for me. Whereas if Lundy gets there, it could be absolute wheels up. Yeah, and one guy that we have extremely highly up in our player profiler dynasty rankings, and I know you do as well at the 33rd team, and you guys do it a little different. You, we have the lifetime values, and you guys have a tiering process. So right now you have Garrett Wilson in tier two of, of dynasty wide receivers right behind Amon Rice St. Brown and right ahead of Tyree Kill. Why don't we talk about how insulated Garrett Wilson is? Because I think there's a little bit of a pivot off of him to try to grab this production for the rest of the season, potentially for a contender. That would be one I'd be really worried about moving off of at any point. I want Garrett Wilson for life. Where are you at, Ian? Yeah, I mean, my ranking shows the same thing, that we want Garrett Wilson, even though he's in a bad situation. And again, this is someone that's averaging 14.4 points per game in a Garrett or in a Zach Wilson level offense, which should say everything you need to know about how good Garrett Wilson has been this season. I mean, this is someone who we're talking about in his second year has a 30.8% target share. The only other wide receivers to do that in their second year is just A.J. Green and Brandon Marshall, who went on to have multiple top three seasons, 18-plus point-per-game seasons. I mean, between the two of them, we're talking about seven years of having an 18-plus point-per-game season and 11 years of having a 16-plus point-per-game season, which is a typical wide receiver one. So he's insulated because when we look at Garrett Wilson, the only names that you can really compare his production to when applying context is studs who have given you very difference making production for years and years. So it's something where Garrett Wilson, Zach Wilson is someone who's not going to be around. Aaron Rodgers hopefully comes back. And if he can average 14.4 points per game in his second year in a Zach Wilson yeah. offense, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what it's going to be like in a capable, competent offense. And there's, it seems like a kind of a throwaway thing, but Offensive rookie of the years, they all smash, especially from the wide receiver spot. Talking about Jamar Chase's, Odell Beckham's. Usually it's multiple seasons of fantasy success when you can garner that as a rookie. Would be interesting to see uh, when Puka Nakua gets that potentially this year. Uh, there's some competition in the streets with these quarterbacks and stuff like that, but uh, he definitely would, would be one to consider. Uh, say that stat one more time with Garrett Wilson because that was absolutely awesome. 30% target share in year two. Yeah, I mean, he has a 30.8% target share right now. The only other year two wide receivers to do that were AJ Green and and Brandon Marshall. I believe Ian said Ian just uh, froze up a little bit. Um, Want to keep this going? We'll, and they've combined. Talk... They've combined for eight, seven, 18 plus point per game seasons and 11, 16 plus point per game seasons. So basically a life dynasty lifetime of high end difference making production. I love that. And let's let's talk about two year two guys that, again, kind of somewhat came out of nowhere here. Sam Howell, quarterback for Washington, has been a locked in wide quarterback one for the year. You know, he's going to end up somewhere among the top eight uh, in quarterback scoring. And Brian Robinson is a guy who in the preseason we looked at as somewhat of a split backfield with Antonio Gibson. Brian Robinson has actually been a much better receiver than anybody anticipated. These guys are both in their second year. They're both scoring very well in a, in a, in year one with a new offensive coordinator, which I think is matters. And nobody knows how to value them in dynasty. Where are you at with Brian Robinson and Sam Howell of the Washington commanders? Yeah, actually I recently did a breakdown on this. So this is a quite fun topic because yes, they are likely going to be high end producers for the rest of the season. And when we look at season's end, we'll have, stacked up nicely against other formidable assets in fantasy football. But part of the reason that we're seeing strong production from them, when you look at the peripherals and you may not see anything that's eye popping or stands as, you know, one of the highest of the, in the whole league or anything like that is because they are throwing before last game at 39.7 pass attempts per game, which leads the entire league. Sam Howell is throwing more passes than the entire league. I think one thing that like we talk about, uh, in terms of peripherals, is matching this up with the situation. And the situation has been one where they're constantly playing with a positive game script, meaning that we're getting tons of passing volume. So someone like Sam Howells brought up last week, he is first in big-time throws, a, a PFF metric where we're talking about big-time throws, uh, high-level throws, 
He's first in the league. But we'll give Ian Ian just a second. And being that level of difference just shows you how uh, impactful volume is in fantasy football. Volume reigns king. So someone like Brian Robinson, we're talking about him being, you know, he has a lot of receptions this year, especially for someone we expected or didn't expect. And it comes off a 6% target share. So when your team is throwing 40 pass attempts a game, you're bound to eat, even if the peripherals aren't all that awesome, which is why we say volume is king. One more second year player to discuss is Rashad White. Rashad White was a guy that was a little bit polarizing in the preseason. We were higher on him at Player Profiler than a number of sites. There was a lot of people who thought he would get replaced in the draft, a lot of people who thought he would get replaced in free agency, survived everything. There was the Sean Tucker's going to take over argument early on. Never happened, never came close. Right now, Rashad White coming off another strong game. He had six receptions against San Francisco yesterday, and he's a top six scorer right now for PPR um, it, it, at the running back position. Where are you at on Rashad White? This is somewhat of a somewhat flawed prospect in, in many people's eyes, but he had a, has a 50-catch season as a rookie, now a very productive uh, uh, season in year two. Where are you at on him, and how should we value him? Yeah, I mean, Rashad White is all in the eye of the beholder. And what I mean by that is that Rashad White is one of the worst rushing-efficient quarter or running backs in the entire league. With a 57.4% carry percentage, he has a sub two yards per team rush attempt, which is not fantastic by any stretch of the imagination. No. But then on the flip side of that, we're talking about someone who has a 12.1% target share and has a 1.07 yards per team pass attempt, which is very efficient. In fact, when we talk about uh, running backs who have a higher yards per team pass attempt, the only names are Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, and Austin Eckler. So we're talking about Rashad White being one of the most efficient and strong receivers out of the backfield in the entire league, while also being one of the lowest efficient uh, rushers in the entire league. So it all depends how you view that. But the important thing for how he's going to produce the rest of the season is, yes, in PPR, he's going to smash. He's going to continue being a good uh, receiver out of the backfield, one of the best in the league at his position. And at this point, he has no one that's going to compete with him for carries because we've seen Sean Tucker isn't good. We know Keyshawn Vaughn isn't good. So, yes, Rashad White is very good as a receiver out of the backfield, and they're going to continue to let him have volume like we just talked about, even though he hasn't been very efficient on the ground because there aren't other good options. So he's going to continue to eat near what a bell cow would eat. And, yes, he may not get a ton of production from it, but that volume matters because he's still getting that, uh, what he can get with his high carry percentage. Even if you're not efficient with it, you're going to get lots of points. But in PPR leagues, like you said, this guy is going to be really good because of how efficient and the level of targets that he gets and a pretty adequate Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense. Like Brian Robinson and Rashad White, I would say that there's also a huge disconnect in the trade market versus their production. Uh, what would be a, something picks-wise, 2024-wise, that would get you out of either? Probably a late first with either right now. I mean, especially when you're talking about – we've talked about value insulation – we talked about in this offseason, Rashad White, you know, hey, this could take over the role. This could take, you know, this could take over for him. We're going to come into another year where that's probably going to be a topic of discussion because, yes, he wasn't a very efficient rusher of the football. He was underwhelming at times, besides being a receiver. We're going to have those discussions again. And inevitably, when points stop being scored, running backs who don't have strong insulation to them inevitably have their value drop. And that's going to be something where Rashad White, if you're not, you know, a team that's on a buy or anything like, or even if you're on a buy and you have this depth, you could trade Rashad White, who's going to be producing the rest of the season. You could get a late first for him. When I'm telling you in the off season, I find it very hard to believe that you could still get a late first for Rashad White. And and a shout out to the chat pushing back on the on the late first. I I've seen it in FFPC leagues, so it's not. This is not like a like a a, a dream trade or anything like. People are going to pay for production when they're chasing money at this point in the season. Like Dynasty is a game where having a beautiful roster is a great thing and we all love it. But at the end of the day, when you get close to being able to pay for your next four or five years of entry fees with a nice run, uh, you, you sometimes chase those points for sure. So I think that if you're not a believer in Brian Robinson and Rashad White, kick the tires on some trades, especially to the contenders in your league, because you're not selling them an asset that's like a 28-year-old Austin Eckler 
you're selling them an asset that's a 24-year-old second-year running back. So it's a definitely an interesting one. Let's yeah, talk I about think, Oh, go ahead, I Ian. Think, I think the other like game theory piece of that is that that's what you want to sell for, essentially. I think he's like RV16-ish fantasy trade calc, which is round to late first. But even if you can't get that, you're fine holding a guy who's scoring 14.7 points per game, especially heading into the playoffs. But it's also another thing when we talk about game theory, you talk about late first. One of my favorite trades to do in Dynasty is you have a contender. And typically contenders, not only do they think their first is late, they tend to think that it'll always be late. So if I have a contender, instead of flipping for his late 2024 first, I'll flip for a 2025, 2026 first, where you, it's it's hard for managers to see themselves as anything but a contender. But given how you see the variance every single year, you know, are you a team that should have been in a buy and you're not now? When we're talking about 2025, 2026, there's so much to happen that that is much less locked into being late and it's probably almost unlikely as you get deeper into the years. I love it. I love it. I love the game theory behind some of these trades. The other one to do is if somebody gives you a little uh, little lip in the in the either the league chat or in a trade offer gives you like a response that's nasty, give them the old offer to swap first this year. There's no greater greater flex on somebody than doing that if you think you can beat them this year and you can kind of put them in your place. Uh, I love doing that. You sometimes get a nasty response back, but they rarely ever accept it. Uh, you know, if if they're all talk kind of people. Um, let's let's talk about the RB two overall in Dynasty. This is oftentimes uh, a great subject. I'm on Jameer Gibbs as RB two overall. I'm on Bijan Robinson as RB one. Where are you at right now? If you had to rank your PPR running backs for Dynasty, Ian? Yeah, I mean, I think for me. Jameer Gibbs is RB3, but I have him plenty fine being an RB2 on a team that's not headed towards a championship because you have tons of value insulation with Jameer Gibbs, and he's going to produce the rest of the season. So what could you not want? He's one of the youngest running backs in the league, and he's at 17.5 points per game. The reason why it just in a vacuum in Dynasty, I want Christian McCaffrey is because at RB2 is because of the advantage that he's going to give you over the rest of basically your league. Like when we talk about Christian McCaffrey, we're talking about a near Travis Kelsey level advantage that you can have on your league mates. And what I mean by that is Christian McCaffrey is scoring 23% higher than the RB2 is right now with his 24.3 points per game. That is some serious difference making uh, production that you can have on your team. And there's no guarantee that anyone is going to hit that. So yes, while he's a little older, I'm going to take a guy who's scoring 24.3 points per game because you're not going to find a difference maker anywhere else at the position. And it's hard to bet on guys being that level of difference maker at any point in their career. I love it. And I think that I would push back on RB two overall, because again, I'm, I'm somewhat of an ageist, but like Christian McCaffrey one day could just wake up and say, I'm James white. I'm, I'm not going to run the ball at all, but I'll still catch 70 passes a year and maybe give you like a couple of, couple of draws to keep the defense honest. And I think he could play forever doing that. Cause he's such a, rare like fast twitch athlete i don't think i don't see him like falling off of a cliff here like you're starting to see austin eckler look slower when he runs uh you know you don't like with mccaffrey it's like the guy doesn't age it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible so let's leave mccaffrey where he's at let's talk about jameer gibbs versus Brees hall where does Brees hall kind of fall into your tiers and your like your level of 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 confidence with your high-end rbs yeah, I mean, I think the thing about Brees Hall is that, like we talked about with Garrett Wilson, he's in a pretty incompetent situation where his his value or his production is not going to be boosted. In fact, he's going to basically be negating points because of how poor his offense is. And even when we talk about penalties, Brees Hall was leading the league in negated uh, production at the position coming into this week. So it's not like he's been anywhere close to lucky and he's on a bad offense. When we talk about Brees Hall, he's a very good running back prospect one of the best in round two we've ever seen, and is an elite bell cow, which has a hit rate that is pretty insane. And then when we look what he's done, his year one that was cut short, he was one of the most efficient rushers and receivers in the entire league. And when we look at this season, he has 2.63 yards per team rush attempt on a 54% carry percentage on what's been a very poor offense. For reference, when we talk about Travis Etienne last year in his second season, Travis Etienne had 2.51 yards per team rush attempt on a 4.1% lower carry percentage. And why that stands out is that Travis Etienne, amongst all second-year running backs, was the only other 
running back to have 2.50 yards per team rush attempt on a sub 50% carry percentage joining Jamal Charles. So Brees Hall is basically on the cusp of that on what's been a terrible offense on where he's had plenty of neg- uh, negated produ- uh, production. And this is someone was an 11% target share and is also efficient with it. It's one of those things too, where, you know, any sort of situation change from essentially the worst quarterback in the entire league or bottom, very bottom tier is huge in terms of what's next for Brees Hall, because we're seeing in his peripherals, he's still quite good. And similar to Garrett yes. Wilson, 13 points per game in the worst offense in the entire league that hadn't scored a touchdown in 40 offensive drives, which is insane. Should tell you that Brees Hall, the second he gets the change, is going to produce like you want him to. It's not something where we're questioning the talent. Yeah, and Ian, what if the Jets had just gone out and got Josh Dobbs? Um, you know, we would be like standing on our head talking about Brees Hall as the league winner and Garrett Wilson as the league winner today. Uh, instead, they kind of sat there doing nothing. It's uh, it's one of those like multiverse things, man. Josh Dobbs is a New York Jet. You'd see a bunch of kids in New York wearing Dobbs jerseys already. So uh, pour one out for that for that idea. But let's uh, let's pivot over to the tight end position. Dalton Kincaid is now 15 catches away from the all-time record for Buffalo Bills rookies. He's going to break Sammy Watkins' record anytime now. Uh, he looks absolutely the real deal. And I think that the narrative of the season was Sam Laporta is tight end one overall in Dynasty. We certainly have him there at player profiler, but Dalton Kincaid is rising every single week. Where are you at on Kincaid and what you've seen from him and you know exceeding your expectations, meeting them, and compare Kincaid to Laporta in Dynasty? Yeah, so if I were to compare the two, I still want Sam Laporta because he's been doing this from day one in terms of his production. Sam Laporta hit the ground running, and it shows in his peripherals. And Kincaid has been very good in his own right, as you mentioned. I mean, this is a guy at tight end, uh, a rookie tight end, is a 19% target rate, 1.46 yards per out run, and it's been on the up and up ever since Dawson Knox got hurt. The only issue I have is where he's getting those targets because – He's essentially been a check down Charlie for Josh Allen. Like James Cook isn't being the check down guy. It's basically been Dalton Kincaid. When you look at how many uh, targets Dalton Kincaid is getting close to the line of scrimmage. And now this isn't to say that he can't do it deeper downfield. He just hasn't. So when we talk about tight ends, we're also talking about the only other round one rookie tight end to have an average depth of target less than six was Jermaine Gresham. And he was also good. The only thing that really held him back was yes, this low level a dot that wasn't, you know, had high susceptibility to a high ceiling because Jermaine Gresham had multiple 12 plus point per game seasons, which at tight end is a tight end one season. He just couldn't get to that high end um, threshold. And yeah, you know, that may not be the case when we're talking about Dalton Kincaid, but it is one thing where if I'm comparing two pretty good rookies, uh, tight ends, I'm going to look for little things like that. And when Sam Laporta is someone who's proven to do it deeper down the field, then I have a little bit more confidence than someone that hit the ground running right away, didn't need an injury in front of him and has done it deeper downfield, then I will give the slight edge to someone like a Sam Laporta who I can feel more confident in. And yeah, and I think that it's a it's an interesting one. Do you view a, I know that there's a couple of people throwing this trade out there, trade Laporta to get Kincaid plus. Are you at that level, you know, when like as a potential pivot? Um, or you would you prefer like, okay, I'll throw it out there. Let's say Kincaid and two second round picks Forget the Kincaid in the first or Sam Laporta. And we'll say they're both 2024 seconds and we'll throw super flex in the mix too. Yeah. I think that's definitely fair value and something that I would consider, but almost have a hard time pulling the trigger because Sam Laporta is someone who could absolutely like all the signs point to being someone who could produce as a top three tight end next year. And while that's could be true for Kincaid, I have less of confidence in that. And I want the difference making production. Although one thing that you point to when you say you could pivot and get a plus on a guy is one thing that I think gets lost in Dynasty is we could say maybe Sam Laporte and Kincaid are held very close and you don't quite get that offer where it's two seconds. You're talking, I could get a plus and it's Sam Laporta for Kincaid in a third and I got the plus. I don't like doing a plus deal where I'm getting a slightly lesser asset that I'm less confident in and the plus isn't a premium. I don't like getting pluses where you could get a third round rookie or third round rookie value where that doesn't move the needle much in terms of your ability to win in dynasty or hold solid stability because you're not really getting a premium. So if I'm doing some sort of plus deal, like where the edge doesn't seem that much, and maybe it's a third, 
I'll add to the one guy to make it a more premium plus for me. What I mean by that is I have a Sam Laporta. Maybe I add a, you know, Taysom Hill, Johnny Smith, who's already worth about a third rounder right now. And maybe that, that ups to a second round pick or something like that. Not saying this, this is the exact case or anything like that, but I want to add to get my plus to be more premium because I don't believe in pluses where you're essentially getting an asset that doesn't move the needle. It's not stable on its own and it doesn't really move the needle for your team being a solid stability, um, high contending team in the future. Question in the chat, George Kittle, aging tight end. He's still having his productive weeks. Um, certainly not the dynasty asset he was six months ago, 12 months ago, but he's still an asset. Where are you at on George Kittle? Where does he fall in your dynasty rankings? And again, Ian's going to have a new dynasty ranking dropping on Wednesday. So look for that. But heading into this week, right about where was George Kittle? Yeah, George Kittle is who, who's kind of in that third tier of tight ends. Like he's not the Travis Kelsey's of the world where, yes, they're old, but they are supplying such difference-making production with you. Your odds at a championship are essentially boosted. He's also not in the tier where we talk about where they're producing right now and going into the offseason, they're going to have solid insulation. Like someone we talk about with Sam Laporta or even Dalton Kincaid, we're going into their second year. There will be that value insulation because of age, because of what they could do in their second season. But George Kittle is still producing, like you mentioned, 14.7 points per game heading into week 11. He's doing that very efficiently on 2.21 yards per team pass attempt. I mean, George Kittle is going to get his points and he's proven that, but he's also somewhere where you won't have the value insulation. So if you're a contender, Sure, you could probably trade, you know, some pieces like a Dallas Goddard right now, who's a little bit younger but hurt. You could trade that to get into George Kittle and get his production. While it may still be on the ups outside of you know true difference making production at the tight end position. Love that, and let's stay at the tight end position. You know, people are going to be scrambling in some of their dynasty leagues because of the Goddard injury, the Mark Andrews injury. Take those injuries away. Well, you know, of course we're not can't really take them away, but. Let's rank Ian Miller's top tight, uh, dynasty tight ends. Give us maybe one through six um, or ever, how, how, however many you want to do, Ian, with respect to your tiers. Yeah, no, I appreciate this question because I was going to bring it up earlier when we talked about Christian McCaffrey and how you kind of view him based on his age. I'm sure you're going to push back that my dynasty tight end one is still Travis Kelsey. It's one of those things where you can't bet on a tight end, even if they're quite good, to have the difference-making production that we've seen from Tav- Travis Kelsey where he's essentially lapping the field and he continues to do so. So it's one of those things where, yeah, I'm fine. The guy's 34 years old. He could fall off next year, but who you're pivoting to, there's no guarantee that you are going to get this level of difference making production at any point in their career. And the whole goal is to win championships. There's a reason that last year, Travis Kelsey was one of the highest rostered players across championship teams because of the difference making production that you get at a position where essentially no one else is going to get what you're getting from Travis Kelsey. No one's going to get 20 points per game from their tight end position uh, in most cases. And you can get that with Travis Kelsey. I'll, I'll take him at tight end one till the wheels fall off. Then when we talk about tier two. Yes. Coming into the week, I had Mark Andrews at tight end two, and it's hard to move him down because it's pretty tragic. Someone who should come back 2024, fully healthy. Hopefully I really don't drop him too far down because when you talk about tight end one seasons, true difference making positions or production in the last seven years, only two guys have done it, Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews isn't 30 years old yet and will be just 29 years old uh, next season. And with someone looking at peripherals, has the highest ever target share for a third-year tight end, highest ever target share for a fourth-year tight end, highest ever target share for a fifth-year tight end. So when we talk about that, we're talking about a guy who could honestly, in a situation where it's not 30 pass attempts per game, but even so, puts up 17 points per game in a situation where the team is one of the bottom tiers in terms of passing volume which say everything you know about the difference-making possibilities that Mark Andrews has. Then we talk about Sam Laporta. He's someone who I could plug in at tight end two now. At worst, is tight end three because what he's doing as a rookie is very, very strong. He's putting up the second highest target share ever by a rookie tight end. His yards per team pass attempt is the second highest ever by a rookie tight end. And his 15.8 points per game is the highest ever by a rookie tight end. And when we talk about situations, he's one in – the, uh, the Lions have one of the best offensive situations you could possibly be a part of. They throw the ball a lot. Jared Goss been very productive, and he's not going to vulture dropbacks by taking rushes because that's not what he does. And if anything, he is fine checking it down, even if it's 
to his running back or someone like a Sam Laporta who's a few yards down uh, from the line of scrimmage, that's something I'm completely fine with because he has shown that he could be honestly one of the best tight ends by his second season. Then when we talk about rounding out the six that you mentioned, it's hard not to have a combination of Kincaid, Hawkinson, and Pitts with a fringe maybe McBride in there, but leaving it to top six, it's got to be Hawkinson, Kincaid, and Pitts. I love it. Yeah. Hawkinson, someone who's produced even with Josh Dobbs, um, as at 19.7 points per game, and is actually having his career high. It's his career high target share, career high yards per team pass attempt, career high PFF receiving grade. I mean, this is something when we talk about late breakouts, TJ Hawkinson could honestly be turning into the tight end that we've always wanted him to, and the production could really follow, especially if they get a healthy quarterback or a healthy Kirk Cousins in there next year. And then just we've talked about Kincaid, hard not to have him in the top six at all. Definitely a top six tight end. And then Kyle Pitts. It's been a disappointing year in a disappointing situation. But it's hard when you look at peripherals. You have essentially one of the best, if not the best, rookie position or rookie seasons ever at the position. One of the best, if not the best, prospects ever at the position. And even when you look at a down second year in terms of production, he has the highest ever target rate at 28% by a second year tight end who's had at least a 50% route participation. So then you're talking about in a, posi- in a position, a landscape where you don't have high-end production all too often, taking a guy who's in a poor situation who absolutely has that ceiling is kind of why I'm comfortable keeping him there. I love it. And the the McBride uh, pits, that's a, I'm glad they're right next to each other in your rankings. I like I view, viewed that as the, as like the pits pivot because that trade is there for you right now to make. Um, and if you were going for the money this year, that's a trade I think you should make because I think McBride showed us a lot. And check out uh, Heath Cummings. We talked a lot about Trey McBride last week. Uh, this is this has been awesome uh, today, Ian. Want to touch base on one more player and where you have them ranked. And this is a good segue into our trade targets. I was able to pick up a Kelsey share last week in a tight end premium FFPC, pretty high stakes one for Ty J Spears in the 2024 first from a team that is bad. And I think a lot of these teams get very, very scared of older assets, kind of as they should if they're in a complete rebuild. But I think that there is a disconnect right now at the wide receiver position. It costs me a lot more, a lot, lot more to get Tyreek Hill, to get Stephon Diggs than it does to for me to get Keenan Allen. And Keenan Allen right now is wide receiver two overall. You have him ahead, way ahead of consensus um, on your on your dynasty rankings than than many sites. And we're you know, I'd say pr- fairly aggressive on a 32-year-old wide receiver at player profiler, but you guys are even more aggressive. Your thoughts on Keenan Allen, that's a trade that's out there for a lot of people. What would you be willing to give up for Keenan Allen in a non-superflex dynasty league? And your thoughts on him and the way he's aging, like his value for next year as well, Ian? Yeah, I mean, Keenan Allen, I'm glad you hit this point because it's one of my my favorite ones right now because it seems like there's almost a disconnect. And what I mean by that is we've seen a 30-year-old Devontae Adams and consensus is fine paying top 15 wide receiver prices for him. We've seen a 30-year-old Cooper Cup and consensus is fine paying top 15 wide receiver prices for him. But then when I put Keenan Allen in the top 15, there's a little bit of pushback with those rankings. And I have to say, He's not even a full year older than someone like Devontae Adams. And he's a wide receiver on the two at 22.8 points per game. He's scoring better than a 30-year-old Cooper Cup, better than a 30-year-old Devontae Adams. Why are you not fine sticking your heels in someone who's the wide receiver two only trailing Tyreek Hill this season? If we're talking about age, you were fine with the other 30-year-olds. Why not Keenan Allen, who's also putting up a 30% target share in a Justin Herbert offense? And his peripherals point to rest of season he's probably going to continue putting up 22.8 or so points per game. So I'm completely fine. Probably the hard part with Keenan Allen is he's probably on a lot of contenders right now. So when you're looking at general consensus, yeah, you could probably get him for a mid to late first going into next season, knowing that there's not as strong a value insulation moving forward. But at the same time, if he's on someone who's a rebuilding team or, you know, they, they just had Burrow and Andrews and everything's caving in on him, then you make your move to get Keenan Allen who for some reason is the cheapest of the 30-year-old wide receivers, despite scoring essentially the best of them. So he's someone that I'm completely fine. If you can find an opportunity to get Keenan Allen on your team, especially one that's competing for championships, go out and do it. I, I love it. And and it's funny because you also bring up the fact that there's Justin Herbert. The quarterback for Devontae Adams next year is question mark. 
you don't know where he's going to end up. There's all these rumors he's going to be a New York Jet. Like, okay, then he's playing opposite of Garrett Wilson, and it's Aaron Rodgers coming off a major injury. He's a, he's a Las Vegas Raider again. Then who's his quarterback? It's not going to be Aiden O'Connell next year, and it's probably not going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. It's going to be some veteran who ends up there um, or a first-round pick that's not Drake May or Caleb Williams because they're pricing themselves out of it. So I love going out and getting Keenan Allen. Ian, I, I told you I'd get you out here in 45 minutes. We're over an hour. Give us a couple more trade targets the contenders should be going out and getting. Yeah, I think that's a great question. The hard thing, too, is that when you are a contender, it's kind of hard or it's hard to get those contending pieces off of contending teams, like I just mentioned. But if you have a chance to get any sort of difference making production leading up to your playoffs or leading up to a possible trade deadline, you go out and get it. And what I mean by that is yes, you could have an older, you know, 16 point per game score at the wide receiver position, and that's all fine and dandy. But when you look at wins um, above replacement production, or just level above replacement production. In terms of a 16-point-per-game score, that's solid, but just 16 points itself in a given week doesn't actually fluctuate your matchup all that much. So, like, for example, I know he said trade targets, but someone like Mike Evans, who's averaging just under 17 points per game, that's solid. His dynasty value is someone he's actually kind of close to Keenan Allen where, yeah, maybe you're enticed to do it, but when you're not paying that much more for Keenan Allen – and you're actually getting difference-making production, where with Mike Evans, you're talking about someone who's scoring in the ranges of like Nico Collins, DJ Moore, even Adam Thielen. But when we talk about difference-making production, a trade target, if you could go get Adam Thielen, who's at 17.5 points per game, through 11 weeks, there's not much reason to see it'll slow down. And he costs, essentially looking before last week, and maybe hard after this last game, you could trade Quentin Johnston for him, who, yeah, maybe he's a little higher valued in the offseason, but there's a good chance you never, ever, ever get 17.5 points per game from a Quentin Johnston, and you can flip that for an Adam Thielen. Now now it might be hard to do, but that's the level of receiver that you can essentially trade for someone who's scoring 17.5 points per game, and it's probably a pretty easy add if you can't get you know one of the top guys with higher-level value. Um, but I do think one thing when you're looking at trade targets, don't sell the farm to give yourself you know a 5% higher chance at a championship. What I mean by that is – Get yourself to a buy. If you can, if you, there's a way to get yourself to a buy, you get there because all of a sudden it's essentially a 50% higher percent chance that your team can make it to a championship versus if they were in the round one of the playoffs because that's one third of a less matchup, meaning you have less matchups to win to win a championship and a game of variance, a game of fantasy football. You could have the best team in the world and you could be out round one. That's why the buy is essentially winning your. Uh, winning your week, uh, winning your first round of the playoffs. So when I talk about making a push, I'm not saying make a push to get into the playoffs. I'm saying you can make a push to get yourself a buy. You dramatically increase your playoff odds. Plus you're getting that player for the semifinals. Those are when I'm making the move to get contending targets, essentially. Not if I'm six and four and I have a chance, you know, to trade my first, that's hopefully late for, you know, said Keenan Allen. And now all of a sudden I'm not getting a buy. I have to go through three matchups in a game of high variance. And it's something where obviously the value insulation is not going to be there in the off season. I love it. He's uh he's Ian Miller of the 33rd team. Um, these, you know, the, you know, what's really cool is you and Heath Cummings both had a, a similar trade target in Adam Thielen and Thielen 33 years old, but people treat him like he's 43 years old. Um, I, I have a, I, I last week I listed him as a, sell high and redraft. And I'll say that I'm going to say I was wrong because we saw Frank Reich take over the offense and we saw exactly what we needed to see with the key, with the Adam Thielen bump. Uh, they were force feeding him. He's basically the whole offense. So uh, I agree with you. And I'll say in, in a lot of these dynasty leagues, unless a team views themselves as the top three or four seed, they're taking a second for Adam Thielen and you're going to get 15 plus points per game. You're talking about being able to pay for four or five years of your entry fee in some of these FFPC leagues, if I finish second in the playoffs, I'm still getting paid a ton. So, uh, you know, money matters. Championships matter. Don't just get into the whole, I want my roster to look good thing. And uh, just a quick lightning round. If you had to rank your enthusiasm level for the 2024 class versus the 2023 class and the 2022 class as a whole, where would it rank? Uh, the best. Very high, honestly. I mean, when we're talking about the 2024 class, it's easy to look at almost any class and say it's better than a 2022 class. I mean, when the number one quarterback it's given you is Kenny Pickett, it's hard It's hard not to say that there's 
much, much worse um, rookie drafts you can have. But 2023 that was hyped up forever is honestly looking like it's not going to be quite as good as 2024, at least from a first-round standpoint. Like 2023 has given us the gifts of like Tank Dell and Puka out of nowhere. When we talk about just in general, your first-round prospects 2024 – we're talking about two Konami quarterbacks who could go first two in the draft. We're talking about two possible league winner wide receivers. And I know he said two. We all know Marvin Harrison. Malik Neighbors might be someone who, as much as the dynasty community likes him, may actually be undervaluing him because he is someone who could be one of the best wide receiver prospects we've genuinely seen. Um, a possibility at a league winner prospect. He was, he's my wide receiver too as well. We drafted, if you want to check take a look at this 2024 uh, rookie class, we did a mock draft with Cody Carpenter, but I selected neighbors as wide receiver two uh, as well. I'll take him over any running back in this class. I think that he's going to steam up. Um, but I, I love, I love the enthusiasm, but, but keep that in there, Ian. So Ian's saying 2024 class better than the 2023 class. We definitely have to do something again soon, Ian, whether it's talking 2024 prospects or doing some more dynasty here as the young kids would say, Ian, you're sharp AF. Uh, and uh, the, the, you really crushed it. Let everybody know again where they can find your work. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore AM. And make sure uh, I post every single week that weekly updates over at the 33rd team. These Dynasty rankings that me and Theo went back and forth on, you can find those over at the 33rd team site. Um, so, yeah, if you check that out, that'd mean a lot. I really appreciate you having me out the other I mean, You said that this show would be 45 minutes. We went an hour five, and it honestly feels like it's been 30. So it's been awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're aiming for that on Dynasty Life, but uh, definitely respect your time. And I know this is a busy day for you. I got I to gotta finish writing the waiver wire column too, Ian. So I, I got I to gotta get out of here too. But everybody who's been listening to Dynasty Life, this is only episode three. We've got great guests lined up for the rest of the season and the off season. We're going to try to help you win your Dynasty Leagues. Stick with us here at Player Profiler. Check out all the great stuff we've been doing. Some of the stuff's over at the 33rd team. Some of the stuff's over here on, on our YouTube uh, shout out to Josh Larkey was really good uh, putting this together and we're going to do a lot of more cool stuff with the 33rd team. Highly recommend the guys over there. Some great, great content creators over there and everybody listening. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving first class fantasy uh, live today at 530. We're doing a special time with uh, Billy Muzio, Memphis Young of, of the Dynasty Warzone and I and uh, let's get it. It's, it's, this is the time we got to win. This is the time you really want to grind on your waiver wire. Um, it's it. It's going to be all gone before you know it, guys. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.